Hi, Clan. A hearty welcome to the Ducket List, the 100 natural conversations you will want to hear to help you thrive. This show is all about natural, honest conversations with incredible, knowledgeable and wise humans to help cultivate your wish list of personal goals and dreams. Just before we get going, a sponsor voice coming up. I want to give a nod to our fabulous sponsor, Anola. That's O-N-O-L-L-A. Search Anola on your favourite browser. I'm a Chrome girl myself. Anola is the one-stop shop for seasonally-led, natural, organic and sustainable beauty and well-being products and curated-themed gift boxes. Thank you, Anola. My guest today doesn't let the grass grow beneath his feet, no. This rebel with a cause was expelled from school at just eight years old and on the run at ten, he camped out for three days. Many life adventures later, he is now an influential organic farmer, pioneer and sustainable advocate who is an old friend and business competitor with the future King of England and 71 has also just become a skincare brand founder too. It's custodian of the Riga State, Lord Newborough. The listening rituals of modern intelligent women have for years been one of humanity's great mysteries. Fortunately now, Females have an authentic podcast where natural conversations can grow and flourish. Welcome to the Ducket List. Lord Newborough, a hearty welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm um, very well, thank you. Suzanne, and uh, up in Wales, it's a lovely day, so uh, no rain today, thank goodness. No rain in Wales, is that possible? No rain in Wales. <laughs> well, where do we find you right now? Where, where are you? Uh, I'm in my office, uh, which is positioned on the farm, and um, I'm very lucky because uh, I can walk to work every day, so um, it's... Uh, another advantage of working in the country absolutely and, and we'll talk a little bit later about can you get too much of nature um but we'll, we'll cover that later do, do you have to go and play i don't know a digital game or go into a city to get you know a bit of edge um because us urban dwellers and me being a londoner i can't get enough of nature and i'm always seeking it out whereas if you live in nature what do you seek out but we'll get to that in a bit because i want to give people listening to this a um a snapshot of your incredible life. So it's going to be quite tricky to do this. But first of all, I'm going to ask a really ignorant question, if you don't mind. Absolutely. You are a lord. Do I address you? And does one address a lord as lord? Or can we call you your first name? Um, I don't really mind what people call me, Susanna, as long as it's not too rude. Um, but uh, call me Robert for the sake of this interview. Lovely. Thank you, Robert. Well, you have an extraordinary family history. Can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up being a, a lord and, in fact, an eighth baron? And um, maybe along the way, tell us the difference between the two. Um, well, our family has been in Wales since the 11th century. So um, uh, I guess in those days, uh, the... Um, one accumulated land by various means, and um, so so the 
family estates uh, grew from an early early um, time, and uh, they became increasingly uh, greater as time went by. Um, we have had good fortune and misfortune um, since then, and the good fortune, I suppose, came from uh, the the benefits of slate quarrying and the royalties uh, that we earned from those times. And the estates at one time were um, a, a quite a large chunk of North Wales. But uh, over the years, um, through sort of wine, women, song, uh, capital taxation and various other things, divorce, uh, the estates of a fraction of what they used to be uh, at its heyday. So um, we now have two estates in North Wales and um, very much diminished in size. And uh, one is on the coast near Carnarvon and the other one where I was born and grew up uh, was in the middle uh, of North Wales, which is a exceedingly beautiful area. So... Um, we grew up uh, very much with a country background and uh, with animals, dogs and ponies, guinea pigs. Mm. I think one stage we had a one, one-eyed one owl. No. Uh, <laughs> what was the one-eyed owl? What was the name of that? Well, it sort of flew in and my mother took pity on it and so she used to go out and find mice to feed it on every day. But what was his name? Ollie. Uh, not, not, nothing too original, but it was called Ollie the Owl. It became one of the family. And um, so we had a very um, countrified uh, growing up period and um, with lots of country pursuits. And in those days, um, the climate was seen different and the, the, lake, the lakes and the ponds used to freeze over in the winter and we used to uh, do skating, and we had bikes and all the things that go with the uh, country uh, countryside and country pursuits. So that sounds pretty idyllic, really, the sort of childhood most people would want to have. But you decided to leave that behind for a while, didn't you? Sorry? <laughs> You decided to leave the country behind for a while, didn't you? And, yes. Um, um, took off like, to further, further well, fields. I, I, I was sent away to boarding school uh, age seven, and um, my, my schooling career was not, uh, not um, what one would desire from one's child. I was very naughty at school, and over a period of... 10 years, uh, I went to a number number of schools, and each time the schools that I was sent to became further and further away from home. Well, I'm not surprised. So seven, seven years old, though. I mean, seven years seems, old. I know people still do it, and I do still balk at it, to be fair, but a little boy sending him off, no wonder. What sort of things were you uh, doing that was rebelling? Um, well, uh, uh, I, I was expelled aged eight i'm not very proud of that but um i think that's quite uh, cool i have to say <laughs> I, I i used to fight a lot uh i don't know why but i did and um 
I had my own gang at school, and we were always being beaten up by everyone else in the school. Um, and one day, um, we saw the opportunity of a little bit of revenge because every Tuesday afternoon we used to uh, do roller skating, and so we, our little group, took our skate the roller skates off and. Um, we took advantage of the uh, moment when everyone else was on their roller skates, and um, they were, um, well, there was a little bit of a brawl. <laughs> so um, I was expelled on the back of that, and um, I then had to go to my next school. Um, and again, I don't think I was particularly uh, the best student at the school, um, and I didn't enjoy it. I was caned every day. Yes. Um, and so I ran away with a couple of other students aged 10. Um, and we were out for three days before we were um, wow. brought in by the police. And, uh, and then that took so me to my days, next school and so on. Days alone as three a ten, days alone. Three days, yes. What were you doing? Uh, well, we were trying to stay warm at night and um, uh, and not be too obvious during the daytime. One of the, one of the group and the three of, uh, one of the group went back to the school and um, on the first night and left two of us to continue. but uh, on our third night it was so cold uh, that we were walking along early hours of the morning and um, um, one of the parents had been searching for us and they happened to be driving home and they saw us on the roadside and we were gathered gathered up. Wow. So, that's, that's, um, a movie. That, that's a movie. I hope you, I hope you um, turn that into a screenplay <laughs> one day. But, you know, so nature has really shaped you, hasn't it? Good and bad. Very much so. And uh, do, I think... Do you, uh, carry you on. Know, we, well, we 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 grew up um, in, in this environment of North Wales, and I think when you're young, you don't really appreciate uh, the countryside uh, in the same way as you do when you're older. And um, I didn't see, I suppose, at that stage, the beauty of the surroundings that we live in. And so I. Uh, Wales to me was always lots of mountains and lots of rain, um, and uh, there were other places in the world that needed to be discovered. So, as soon as uh, I was able, uh, I moved uh, away from Wales, started travelling, and uh, also um, eventually I bought somewhere in Wales. Uh, it's just over the border from Wales because I felt there wasn't room for my father and I to live in the same country at the same time. Really? And because and, I was going to ask about um, your father. Obviously, you were getting getting this from both sides as a child. You've got the school on your case. You've got, I would imagine, your father wasn't very impressed by this behaviour? As far as my father was concerned, he, he was very tough on us when we were young. Um, we could never do um, right and um, 
uh, we we grew up and always never allowed to lie in. Uh, we had to get up at seven o'clock every weekday, and we were allowed to lie in until seven thirty at the weekends. Uh, but if you were a minute late getting up, you knew all about it. So yes, he, he was very man. tough on. He wasn't an army he, man by any chance, was he? he 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 was yeah, he was a, a war hero and um, uh, during the war he ended up in a place called Kolditz. Uh so he's one of the naughty boys um, and so he was very tough and um, we were um, taught to work and our school holidays were a mixture of enjoyment um, but also working and. You know, for that, I'm grateful for. And that's the resilience, isn't it? And that's where that resilience comes from. Is that also, I would imagine, him sending you off to Australia? Is that right, with £100 in your pocket to go and get some experience? Not that three days as a 10-year-old in nature on your own got much experience, uh, obviously. So off you went to Australia. Is that true? One-way ticket? Well, well, a- age 20, um, he said, right, here's hundred pounds and a one-way ticket uh, to Australia, and um, you must. I don't want to see you for another twelve months, um, and you must work uh, your way back. And um, there will be no help or assistance whilst you're there, um, but you've got to sort yourself out and find a job, and um, it, uh, and learn to look after yourself uh, on your own. Uh, for 12, 12 months at least. And you, so, um, you obviously did. And how did you get back? Well, um, Australia was had its attra- attractions and um, I was found various jobs to do, uh, which I enjoyed. Um, and after two years, I had a call from my father. It's about time I came back, did a decent day's work. So by that time, um, I had saved up some money, and I came back on a cruise ship, well, a, a sort of cruise ship from Perth to Singapore, and then I got a cheap flight from Singapore home. As a 20-year-old going through that and gaining this resilience and this, this real character-building, you know, it sounds like a cliche, but, I mean, it's character-building stuff you've been through. Do you look back and think that made me who I am and I wouldn't change it for the world? Or are there still elements that you're slightly haunted by to, you know, to, for want of a better word, of that sort of upbringing? No, um, I never look back and regret. And um, I think it was highly beneficial uh, to be brought up as, as my father um, uh, intended. Uh, we we were taught things like there's no such word as can't, and uh, you must sort things out. And um, it, 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 I think it's brushed off on um, my, myself and my sisters, and we all um, I think benefit from uh, quite a tough childhood, basically. Uh, so no regrets and. Uh, one thing it did teach me to do was to to work and to be a problem solver. And that you are, and that you are. And firstly, just a quick one on the sisters. Did they get the same treatment, by the way, or did you get it tougher because you were a boy? Very much so. Um, 
my father could love one of us at, at a time. So you were either in or you were out. And um, but I think they would uh, agree with what I'm saying. But we've all benefited really from um, uh, fr- from the way we were brought up. Wow, it's so fascinating. And and coming sort of more into into the here and now. Um, I mean, you know. I can't even touch on what you've done to getting from where you've just described to now, from um, being running an air charter company to being a circuit board manufacturer to a fishery protector in Sierra Leone to now an organic farmer whose sustainability, passion and custodian of the Riga state that you're now beholden to is quite astonishing and and what I think is incredible and brilliant about what you're doing is letting nature do its thing with almost you and your incredible team which has grown from what 10 to 120 people or something in 20 years yes that's right but it seems Um, you let it do its thing and you're almost just the guardians tell us a bit more about this this turning this farm from a low input low output farm to one of the most, in fact, you have a royal warrant, don't you, for your produce? It's so fantastic. We do. Uh, I think it's all to do with something that you're passionate about, uh, something you believe in. And um, I think if you think back to the 80s and the 90s, we we had a series of food scares um, through those times, uh, which everyone was aware of. And it started to make me think about um, healthy eating and the benefits uh, that organic um, uh, farming had as far as the landscape and the sustainability and the animal welfare um, benefits uh, of farming in that way. Um, My father brought me up to a farm. I was sent to agriculture college and did all the things that you should do. Um, But as you said earlier, I wasn't really uh, interested in farming. um, And that's why I went off and did other things. But the moment my father died in, in, in October, 1998. And um, I sat down with the farm manager and I said to him, um, I want to go organic. And I felt it was important, really, to follow one's belief and to put your money where your mouth was and do something that uh, one could get a just reward for. Um, uh, so uh, organic farming is something that, really is interesting. It really is um, something you have to think about. You have to plan ahead. It is um, uh, all to do with prevention rather than cure. So unlike uh, conventional farming, where you always have a quick fix around the corner, um, organic farming is... um, not blessed with that, so you can't use fertilizer, you can't use sprays. You have to do everything in a natural way, and uh, uh, and you reap reward. I mean, it, when we went organic in, in 1998, um, the first thing we had to do was to decide 
uh, how we were going to sell what we produced. And we did um, a, like a beauty parade of the four main supermarkets then, which was uh, Tesco's, Sainsbury's, um, Marks and Spencer's, and Waitrose. And the only only one that were, had the foresight and the interest in stocking organic produce on their shelves uh, was Waitrose. And that was the start of our relationship, which we continue today. Um, so they were very supportive in the early years, and uh, we still supply uh, Waitrose as we did in those um, first years. The doesn't, only thing that doesn't changed, that mean changed. you've gone up in competition with one of your old buddies, with old the Dutch, uh, with, uh, with old Charlie, uh, Dutchy Organics? Well, well, I suppose so. I mean, there's nothing like um, a good deal of healthy competition. And <laughs> he, he, when he visited the farm in 2013, um, uh, there was a lot to talk about. And uh, it was a, a great visit. Um, and he obviously has a very good grasp of what, what we do here and probably knows more about organic farming than I'll ever know. But, really? That's uh, very, um, very uh, generous of you to say that. But, but um, he might not know as much about organic skincare, but certainly <laughs> organic farming. Absolutely. But, um, in fact, when he came here, we, we decided to do a bit of a farm tour. Um, we took him down to see the chickens being put away uh, at night. The only problem was that it was 11 o'clock in the morning and we used uh, a trained sheepdog to round up the chickens and put them in their, in their sheds for the night. Um, and, of course, the chickens at 11 o'clock in the morning didn't want to go into their little house. So um, the dog went one way, the chickens went another <laughs> And um, uh, his highness was left uh, laughing at the at the show. Uh, and the last straw was the dog got hold of one of the chickens in his mouth, which the press enjoyed. Um, but luckily, let go of the chicken and it ran into the house. So all was well. Brilliant! What so a then, great scene. So um, it caused caused a lot of uh, laughter and a lot of interest. No, and it just, you know, you, it's just a lesson in what you can and can control when it comes to animals and working with animals, as they say. So you, you mentioned about skincare, though. I hope you sent him home with a few samples of your fantastic new skincare range, which, congratulations, by the way, it's truly wonderful. I've enjoyed uh, trying it. What made you, Thank dive, you. What made you dive into skincare? I mean, are you not busy enough? Um. Well, since since we uh, since we started here, we we've diversified a lot over the years. We've gone into retailing, wholesaling. Um, we do uh, leisure uh, activities, and uh, we also do green energy uh, on the estate. So it's really over the years it's been using what assets we have on the estate, assets that God gave us. Um, and that are sustainable and natural. And um, 
I have to travel a lot. We we sell our meat throughout the world. And one of the things I sort of noticed was that going through the duty-free areas, you see um, a large number of brands selling skincare. And I felt selling our meat, what's so important is, one, that it's healthy, two, that it's organic, three, it's sustainable, and four, perhaps most important of the lot, is that it has uh, honesty and a story behind it. And I wasn't finding it. I was looking at those brands quite closely, big claims made, uh, but not substantiated by uh, certification. Mm-hmm. And I thought, started to think, well, what do we have at Reeg that we could use into uh, a skincare range? And uh, uh, we used to supply the chefs with uh, forage, uh, both in uh, the London market and, and Hong Kong. And I thought, well, uh, let's look at the forage. Let's look at what what we have on the estate that could go into uh, a skincare range. And can that be highly beneficial? And um, uh, can it be encompass everything that Reeg is about, basically, which is sustainability, honesty, certification, uh, and many other attributes. And it's, it's such a murky area. I mean, 30-odd years of, and some of them have been old, let me tell you, of working in the beauty and wellness industry, the amount of smoke and mirrors and lying, frankly, that goes on behind products being organic. Now, I might be wrong, so correct me. My last bit of research was you can call yourself organic as a beauty product if you've only got about 1% of organic products in there. Is that is that true? I think that's true. Yes, absolutely. It, it is true. And but, but there are also claims made on the back of many packs uh, about being organic and, uh, and uh, sustainable, but they're not supported by um, certification. And to be certified as uh, Cosmos Organic, Cosmos Natural, um, Leaping Bunny, um, Vegan, and um, Halal, um, and supported by that symbol and on you, the back of the pack. You tick all of those boxes, don't you? I, I think we do, and I, I think I'd like to think that we've created something that is honest and probably the most uh, well-certified and um, sustainable uh, skincare product to be launched onto the market um, in 2020. And I, uh, you know, I agree with you. And, and coming from someone who is the real deal, and you really are one of the few field-to-plate operations in the UK, I mean, that, that, that also gets banded around a lot, field-to-plate, field-to-plate. And again, even in the food industry, very few can really honestly say that, can't they? So do you think you're probably one of the genuine field-to-face beauty brands out there? Uh, I think we are one of, one of the few. There are, very, uh, there are uh, one or two brands where they're using um, product that is cultivated, but here um, a lot of the wild forage is 
picked on the estate um, by uh, experienced forager. We're using uh, other products that are grown on the estate, like organic oats, and um, we we have a beekeeper who produces the honey and the beeswax that is used in the skincare products. We've got blue clay, spring water, and uh, in our new product range, we'll be using things like seaweed comes off the coast. Um, and I think that is quite unique. And I think our skincare range is unique. It has a strong story of heritage and also honesty and um, uh, integrity. So uh, in the early days, we, we, we drew up a long list of all the ingredients that could be found on the estate. And we sat down with our formulator, who has 20 years' experience, and she looked down the uh, uh, list and she picked out um, the ones that she wanted to work with for our, our initial uh, launch. So um, it's taken two and a half years to get to where we are. We've tried to tick all the sustainable boxes that you can possibly tick with uh, glass bottles, with secondary packaging that is recycled material, uh, and, and so on. And it really does come through, which is why certainly I was very keen to get some of the product in uh, the beauty boxes I put together and the self-care boxes, because I think what a lot of people don't realise with organic, and I'd love to get your feedback and advice to them on it, is that organic's lovely and it's very kind and sustainable, but does it really work? And those ingredients in those products... I mean, they really have gone through the sort of research and development and formulation process. It's not just you mulching dandelions and gorgeous herbs and, and things and putting them in jars to be sort of all, you know, kind and nice about it. I mean, they, they darn well work, don't they? They, they do. And uh, we've done independent trials with um, Beauty Bible. So it is wide, widely tested by uh, independent um people who have tested it over a 28-day period. And um, I think it's fair to say that it was highly scored, highly rated by the independent testers. And uh, that's sort of encouraging in itself. So and presumably, it, it does work. Presumably you use them, Robert. Uh, <laughs> Come on, be honest. Well, you must use one yeah, or two. I, 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 yes, but it's a bit late for me. Um, no. I do use them, uh, and Never too and late. I've tried. More skin has gone on. More face cream's gone on my face in the last two and a half years than I've <laughs> um, ever looked at in my life. So yes, and I love it actually, and it's a lovely fragrance, um, and I do think. I, I, Mm. Uh, but there are seen benefits um, from using it. So and my wife is totally um, in awe so, but with, the, with the skincare range. So, well, you yeah. know, if, if someone with your credentials can create a skincare range for, for their wife that they think is wonderful, I think that is, because, I mean, let's face it, you know, 
we can be very critical of each other, can't we, in a marriage? Because we really, we're honest. We'll say, that's just not good enough. No, I, you know, I want this to be better. So I think that's probably to, she was the number one person to get on side and probably no doubt um, other women, other women, you know, I'm sure you did your own independent testing, which is crucial. But I think really what's interesting about how that industry is is moving is, well, certainly you say about men, you know, grooming is huge now. It's like, there's more grooming parlours and, barbers and things opening up in London and I think there are beauty salons now um so it is a thing but what I love about the range and about what you're doing is because you are a real working estate and employing real passionate people when you use those products there's a real there's a real uh, sense of place happens you know you can put on the cleanser you can apply your moisturizer and you know it comes from somewhere real and the, the ingredients are real so I, I think that part of it is very powerful rather than there's so many brands out there that they create a story you know they're not a story but they've created it it's let's create the story of who we are and then then some products whereas you've done it the other way around haven't you uh, I think I think that's true uh, I think uh, the honesty uh, behind this product uh, is in you know, here to be seen, here on the estate. And when people visit us, um, they can go out with the forager, they can see the crops growing in the field, uh, they, they can uh, see the bees working. And uh, it, I think people love to know uh, where a product comes from. They love to know that actually... It is sustainable, and I think sustainability is so important these days. I think we all have the next generation to worry about, and uh, if we um, are being honest with ourselves, if we can help in any way uh, to provide a a better, healthier uh, future for the next generation, I think this is one way of doing it, and if it's to your own benefit as well, I think um, even better. Well, and I think being this environmentally secure and financially in, uh, financially secure, they're not mutually, you know, um, accepted. I mean, you can make money from doing good, can't you? I hope so. <laughs> well, you are, um, you are, and I think yes. we're so fed at the moment with negativity and bad news, and you know. Let's just touch on the pandemic that we're all living through at the moment shortly. But I think what, you, what you're saying is so true. People need to see for their own eyes and believe themselves rather than being fed this stuff that we're just suspicious about so much now. So, and on that, you, you know, how are you, what, what are the challenges the pandemics pose to you as a, as a business and all of the people you work and, and live around? And, and what are you doing to, to get over those challenges? Um, well, no business has been untouched by um, the pandemic, and um, but ev- luckily everyone had to eat. Uh, so, uh, from he- from our point of view, uh, the farming has to go on, and we're producing something that people want. But what we have seen, I mean, there's certain parts of the business that have been really badly affected, and my concern every day is waking up and thinking, you know, how can I maintain and secure the business uh, in order to 
uh, give people jobs at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And it, it has been very painful all around. And uh, we've tried to keep as much open as we possibly can. But I think the thing that has come to the fore is that um, people uh, have not been able to go to restaurants like they were, mm-hmm. um, but they still have gone for quality. They've, they've just decided they're not spending their money in the restaurants, but what they do go out and buy, uh, they, they certainly have turned towards um, something, the healthy option, and um, there has been uh, much demand for our, our organic meat uh, during the lockdown period, and that's been maintained um, since uh, through the uh, summer period. And that's so, music. That's music to my ears because I've been buying organic meat even when I could barely afford it, to be honest. <laughs> and, and these days, sometimes it feels the same. But I've always gone for eat less and spend more. And people would mock me, you know, a few years ago, saying, "Oh, it's just, you know, why are you? It's just, a, just marketing. It's just branding. You know, you're just spending, wasting money." And it's, well, have you tasted an organic chicken compared to a non-organic chicken? You'll never eat a non-organic chicken again. But is that across the social strata? Because the other, I suppose, rap organic gets, Robert, is that it's expensive and not everybody can afford it. So you supply from the Michelin stars, but you also have a drive-through, don't you? Uh, we have a drive-through, a takeaway, and um, we have a farm shop here. Um, uh, very difficult to answer, but I think there is that, as you say, um, buy quality, buy less, and eat. Um, feed your body with uh, healthy produce, and I think that applies to the skin as well. Mm-hmm. And I think we will see um, a strong, a strong demand um, for feeding your skin. I mean, sixteen percent mm-hmm. of your body mass. So why don't you look after it mm-hmm. by um, uh, using skin care that that is natural and organic and highly beneficial, um, but it's it, it's inside and out, and For so sure. and I, and I think slow beauty and slow food are connected. I totally because agree. I totally agree. And given the speed that we live, and certainly, and I will keep going back to the city dwellers, that it is harder to live a more natural life you know it's not impossible but it's harder but the speed we live at online and offline i think current situation has really made people slow down it's made people consider what they're consuming inside and out and i agree i mean the skin is the largest organ in the body it is i don't believe people when they tell me oh it doesn't go into the bloodstream you know the molecules are too big or what have you i just i actually don't believe that um, and I'm, I label check and have done for a long time now a moisturiser and a cleanser the same way as I would a yoghurt. And we are going to see more than that. The only problem is it's difficult to understand because big brands change the names of things to make them sound a bit nicer. So the label checking, I think, is a big education piece. Um, and anything you can do as a really trusted skincare brand to help educate journalists and consumers, please do because, you know, you are transparent and it would be great to learn from the likes of you and your team. So that's a little bit of a wish list for the ducket list. Please do help us with that education so we know what we're putting on our face. And also in terms of 
buying your produce can do you deliver i know you deliver to the to the very fancy restaurants um around the world and in fact um yeah certainly not just the uk can we get orders can we go on your website and get wonderful produce and skincare all in one fantastic delivery well one thing we've seen through the pandemic period is um a lot more people have turned to buying online and uh, we uh do um, home deliveries nationwide, and people can buy off our website. Uh, not only just the meat, but they can buy shop uh, farm shop products as well, and skincare. So, um, but there's, I think, more people have become accustomed to buying online because it it, it has been the only option. So, I see that trend con- continuing. And particularly this, you know, this time of year when Christmas is looming up, uh, we sell turkeys and, and geese and seasonal products. And uh, our, our mail order business has uh, picked up enormously. And I'm thrilled about that. But I also want to, and this is something I'm championing all the time at the moment, is look at what brands you're buying through what platforms, because we do have to be very careful that, you know, frankly, from the Amazons to, the, again, those big brands that aren't perhaps doing as much ethically as they should and sustainability is not necessarily there first and foremost. So I do think as consumers, we have to make sure we're really supporting those local brands and those independent brands and British brands. Um, and would you agree with that? Are you seeing that the, that your locals and the further afield literally are wanting to buy into more um, sustainable brands on their online shopping? Uh, undoubtedly, I mean, there's been a strong trend um, over the last two or three years, but it, it's been um, catapulted by the COVID uh, situation and pandemic. Um, and people who never shopped online before are now shopping online. And I think um, general awareness of, of buying quality has also um been to the fore. Um, I think what you said earlier, uh, when it comes to skincare, um, one must check uh, that the claims are substantiated on the back of the pack because in most cases they're not. And they, they might write claims that are not supported by certification. And I think uh, brands must back up what what their claims are and be honest, truly honest, uh, to customers about what's inside the pack. I agree, and, and certainly as a journalist, I'm doing my best, and which, which is why I'm doing my own thing now, because a lot of magazines and newspapers want to put in the big advertisers, um, and it becomes a very difficult as a journalist, you'll write about four different brands, and they'll they'll take the couple out that they haven't heard of which is very frustrating. So it is going to be a slow process, but we have an engaged audience now. We've got people wanting this. You know, when I first started getting interested in the organic world from a food point of view, from a beauty and skincare and well-being point of view, you know, it was such a woo-woo thing then. You know, I used to get, again, the, you know, the mickey taken out of me. And now I'm thinking it's now happening. I'm not getting the mickey taken out of me so much. People are asking me about ingredients. They're asking about organic. But can I just ask you, as we're starting to... Um, think about uh, Christmas gifts and, and just our own shopping. If you are on a bit of a budget, 
what would be the top, you know, across the board in terms of what you're ordering? You know, is it, if you've only got a few things that you can start to go towards the organic way, would it be your eggs, your meat, your, what, what are those main things that you should just, are non-negotiables for organic food? Um, it doesn't help me much, but I think the non-negotiable uh, things have got, has got to be salads and fruit because uh, those uh, retain a lot of toxin. And um, number one in the toxin leak is an apple. And you can't wa- wash toxin residue off the outside of an apple because it's in the flesh. Wow. And so not even it, that veggie it, wash, you can wash them in. That won't take it off. No way, no. And if you sit down to what you perceive as a, a healthy salad, I think what toxins are in the leaves of the lettuce or, uh, or, or in the carrot or, or uh, any vegetable. Um, a lot of vegetables are um, intensively grown and they're sprayed regularly. And I don't think people have um, locked on to that. When it comes to organic meat, um, I mean, think of the environment. Um, if you use artificial uh, fertilizer on your pastures, you are emitting harmful carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. If you are not using artificial fertilizer uh, on organic pasture, you are trapping the harmful carbon dioxide out of the air and into the ground. So you are helping the environment. And also, when you're eating organic meat, what a cow or a sheep eats goes through an entire digestive system, and then it's converted into muscle tissue. So it's not like your apple or your celery, which has a direct intake. Organic meat goes through a whole process before it's turned into the meat that we eat. So, but from an environmental point of view, um, 333 acres of organic grassland is equivalent to taking 117 cars off the road every year. Wow. So, if you drive out of your out of the town and into the countryside and you enjoy the rich tapestry of life, that's what organic farming provides you with pleasure and mindset and a a lovely, healthy, sustainable environment. Absolutely, and flavour. I mean, let's not forget flavour. You know, it actually tastes of what it's supposed to. Um, It tastes like the food. It's, you know, it's got that richness and that flavour. So I feel as well you don't need as much. So very meaty meat. You you don't need to eat as much because it actually becomes too rich. So I think that's that's something. We've got to get people on the flavour and the vanity, Robert, you know, if we get, yeah. you know, sometimes we've got to go through the selfish routes, you know, what's in it for me? Um, and look, well, you know, what, if, whatever it takes, frankly. Well, there's a lot more too, Susie, because um, organic meat is 50% higher, higher in omega-3. It's uh, higher in dry matter. It's lower in fat. So uh, another reason uh, to eat organic meat. Also, what you buy is what you get because uh, you will notice that if you buy a conventionally produced pork chop and an an organic pork chop and you cook them side by side, 
the conventional equivalent um, uh, will shrink in size. So what you buy with organic is what you get. Um, with a chicken, uh, you don't get lots of water coming out of it when, uh, from an organic chicken uh, like you do with a conventionally produced chicken. So to a certain extent, you are buying water if you buy a chicken. And the flavor mm. difference is enormous. Mm. I mean, you get, get with an organic chicken, you get texture, you get flavor, you get a browner leg meat, you get a thicker skin. And um, it, it's like a chicken should, should taste like. Absolutely. It's a world of difference. Oh, it's you're, world making me, of you're making me hungry. I make, you're making me hungry now, Robert. Well, look, I mean, I could talk to you for hours, and I think I'm already knowing, I think we're going to have to do a ducket list part two with you at some stage um, in the not-so-distant future because you are a wealth of knowledge. Uh, what you're doing is, you know, and I urge anyone listening, if you feel down and you feel that things are getting too much, and then go and watch the video on the REEG website. There's an amazing video showing what you guys do, and it's very comforting and it's very hope inducing so thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and um i look forward to coming to the farm and the estate and having a good old romp around there in my wellies and um, thank you so much for your time thank you suzanne um, and, um i look forward i look forward to showing you the beauty of this area that's inspired a wild beauty and um sharing uh, the passion of my team yeah. that have been responsible for producing this amazing range. Yeah. It echoes throughout everything. And uh, keep up the good work, please. We're counting on you. And thanks for your time and have a fantastic rest of the day. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did and have been inspired and reassured, actually, about the huge benefits of forking out on organic from what you put on your plate to what you slather on your face. And another shout-out and thanks to our fabulous sponsor, Enola. That's O-N-O-L-L-A, the one-stop shop for seasonally-led, natural, organic and sustainable beauty and well-being products and curated-themed gift sets. That's Enola. And we have more podcasts lined up with some super guests. So stay close, stay well and keep it natural. <laughs>